Welcome to episode 234 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the Twitter files, the second tranche. In episode 228, I reviewed the first eight Twitter files. What we learned there is that the federal government has been colluding with big tech companies for years, directing their censorship on their platforms, a clear First Amendment violation of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Americans. We learned about secret blacklists, how Twitter functioned as a subsidiary of the FBI, and how Twitter executives rewrote the platform's rules to accommodate their own political desires. Leaving me with several questions. What is the penalty for violating someone's First Amendment rights? How and where does it get adjudicated? And most importantly, when will the lawsuits start flying? In this episode of the TruthQuest podcast, we cover the next series of Twitter files. Journalist David Zweig published the ninth Twitter files. It's titled, How Twitter Rigged the COVID Debate. The summary reads, By censoring information that was true but inconvenient to U.S. government policy, by discrediting doctors and other experts who disagreed, and by suppressing ordinary users, including some sharing the CDC's own data. He goes on to present evidence that the United States government pressured Twitter and other social media platforms to elevate certain content about COVID-19 while suppressing others. Both the Trump and Biden administration directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's pandemic content according to their wishes. The Trump administration met with Twitter, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others to address one particular concern, panic buying. They wanted, quote, help from the tech companies to combat misinformation about runs on grocery stores. The Biden administration put these manipulation tactics on steroids. You may recall in the summer of 2021, President Biden said out loud, that social media companies were, quote, killing people for allowing vaccine misinformation. One of the Biden administration's first targets was journalist Alex Berenson, who, ironically enough, we will be hearing from in Part 11 of the Twitter files. Berenson sued and then settled with Twitter. In the legal process, Twitter was compelled to release certain internal communications, which showed direct White House pressure on the company to take action on Berenson. By the way, Berenson went on Joe Rogan's show sometime in the fall of last year, 2022. That was a fantastic interview. You should check it out if you're interested. Continuing with this particular Twitter file, a December 2022 summary of meetings with the White House by Lauren Colbertson, Twitter's head of U.S. public policy, adds new evidence of the White House's pressure campaign and cements that it repeatedly attempted to directly influence the platform. Colbertson wrote that the Biden team was, quote, very angry that Twitter had not been more aggressive in deplatforming multiple accounts. Twitter did suppress views, many from doctors and scientific experts, that conflicted with the official positions of the White House. As a result, legitimate findings and questions that would have expanded the public debate went missing. Legitimate content was labeled as misinformation, and the accounts of doctors and others were suspended both for tweeting opinions and for tweeting demonstrably true information. There were expert opinions removed simply because they differed from the corrupt CDC's guidelines, even if they were in line with vaccine policies in numerous other countries. I'm sorry to bring this up again, but it's a recurring theme with the TruthQuest podcast. The CDC has no constitutional authority to do anything, much less exist. 
We are under no obligation to listen to anything those people have to say. The agency should be defunded tomorrow and let all those so-called experts find employment in the private sector. The next two Twitter files is brought to us by Matt Taibbi. The first one's titled Twitter and the FBI Belly Button. In February 2020, as COVID broke out during the Trump administration, the Global Engagement Center, GEC, a fledgling analytic intelligence arm of the State Department, went to the media with a report called, quote, Russian disinformation apparatus taking advantage of coronavirus concerns. When the State Department, or GEC, wanted to publicize a list of 5,500 accounts it claimed would, quote, amplify Chinese propaganda and disinformation about COVID, Twitter analysts were beside themselves. They reportedly ended up with a list of nearly a quarter million names long. It included Canadian officials and a CNN account. Twitter's trust and safety chief, Yul Roth, saw GEC's move as an attempt by them to use intel from other agencies to, quote, insert themselves into the content moderation club that included Twitter, Facebook, the FBI, DHS, and others. When the FBI informed Twitter that the GEC wanted to be included in the regular, quote, industry call between companies like Twitter and Facebook and the DHS and FBI, the Twitter leaders balked. Hello, a quote-unquote industry call with the government? Are we serious here? What is this, the Soviet Union? Here we go again. The FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, directly involved in censoring speech, reminded me again of what the First Amendment says. Congress shall make no law. Congress means the federal government. The F in FBI. Come on, folks you got to have principles or you just float through life. I don't care what political party you identify with. You've got to have principles to live by. For longtime listeners, I have always said, my decision-making is easy. I follow the Bible first and the Constitution second. Everything about the Twitter files directly violates the United States Constitution. Therefore, my opinion is very easy to arrive at. We then learned that a host of other federal government agencies wanted to be included in these industry calls about who to censor, including the NSA, the CIA, HHS, Treasury, and the Senate Intel Committee. Hello again. Federal agencies are forbidden from violating free speech. There were even requests from state governments looking to get in on the action. I'm telling you, man, totalitarianism is highly contagious. Once you're exposed to the ability to control other people, you are like a drug addict. Twitter also received an astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they didn't like to be banned. One of the more blatant and egregious examples of First Amendment violation was when the Office for Democrat and House Intel Committee Chief Adam Schiff asked Twitter to ban a journalist named Paul Sperry. In the end, Twitter honored many of these requests. Here we go again, what we learned from the first tranche of Twitter files. The FBI was right in the middle of the online censorship efforts, thus the reference to being the belly button of the U.S. government. In other words, they, the FBI, are the censor brigade. They are the hub where everything runs through. Instead of chasing murderers, terrorists, bank robbers, child molesters, i.e. the real bad guys, 
FBI priorities were censoring free speech and chasing down and persecuting and prosecuting people who were present at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Matt Taibbi kept rolling with the next file, published the same day as the previous one. It was titled, How Twitter Let the Intelligence Community In. In September 2017, after a cursory review, Twitter informed the Senate it suspended 22 possible Russian accounts and 179 others with possible links to those accounts. That was amid a larger set of roughly 2,700 suspects manually examined. When Democratic Senator Mark Warner from Virginia heard about the 22 possible Russian accounts, he perceived them to be meager results and was furious. By the way, he was the ranking Democrat on the Intelligence Committee. He went on to hold an immediate press conference to denounce Twitter's report as, quote, frankly inadequate on every level. Then the wicked witch of the universe and pathological liar Hillary Clinton said, quote, it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels, she would know about heels, and live up to the fact that its platform is being used as a tool for cyber warfare, end quote. With growing anxiety over PR problems, Twitter formed a Russia task force to proactively self-investigate. Do you see how this shit works? It's symbiotic. Everyone on the left works together, plays their part. The pressure on whatever target they choose, be it a Supreme Court justice, a legislator, a baker who refuses to bake a cake, or a big tech firm, the symbiote comes at them these targets, in a relentless stream of pressure. It's death by a million cuts. This cycle of threatening legislation wedded to scare headlines, pushed by sometimes anonymous congressional or intel sources, followed by Twitter caving to moderation demands, that would later be formalized in partnerships with the federal law enforcement agencies. So what was the result of Twitter's Russia task force? Nothing. They didn't find shit. Even as Twitter prepared to change its ad policy and remove Russia Today and Sputnik to placate Washington, Congress turned the heat up more, apparently leaking the larger base list of 2,700 accounts. It was around this time, if you remember, where the Democrats in Congress were hauling the likes of Dorsey and Zuckerberg in to testify before Congress. They got read the Riot Act by many members of Congress, which, looking back, was setting the foundation for what we are now learning in these Twitter files. The next file installment was published by Alex Berenson, who was, as I mentioned, one of thousands, if not millions, of Twitter users who were censored at the behest of the federal government in direct violation of his or their First Amendment rights. He is the one who sued and settled with Twitter. Don't you love Elon Musk's sense of humor by letting this guy who sued his company before he bought it to release one of the Twitter files? This installment of the Twitter files discusses how Scott Gottlieb, a top Pfizer board member who was paid $365,000 by Pfizer in 2021, how he used the same Twitter lobbyist as the White House to suppress debate on COVID vaccines, including from a fellow head of the FDA. In August 2021, Gottlieb told Todd O'Boyle, a senior manager in Twitter's public policy department, that a tweet by Dr. Brent Girior correctly claiming that natural immunity was superior to vaccine immunity was, quote, corrosive and might, quote, go viral, and therefore the doctor needed to be censored. Ironically, Girior's tweet actually encouraged people with no prior infection to, quote, get vaccinated. 
So the dude's still following the establishment narrative. Just not enough. By the way, Giriar briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the FDA. He's no Alex Berenson or Paul Sperry, yet he needed to be taken down a notch. Gottlieb then went after a tweet about COVID's low risk to children by a guy named Justin Hart. Why would he want that truth censored? Money. See, Pfizer was in the process of getting approval to move forward with jabbing children with their often toxic, sometimes deadly, experimental so-called vaccine. So they needed to drive maximum fear in the hearts of parents. Do yourself a favor and do a new search on something like cardiac arrests in young people. Look at how many documented cases there were in 2022 and compare that to any other recent year. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the COVID jab. Approximately a year after Gottlieb's effort to censor Dr. Girior, he lied on Twitter and CNBC saying he was not trying to suppress debate on mRNA jabs. Just so you know who Pfizer is, the company has a long history of violating drug industry laws and ethics rules. In 2009, it agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest healthcare fraud settlement in American history, for fraudulently marketing several drugs. In 1996, it conducted a clinical trial of an antibiotic in Nigeria in which 11 children died and which became the inspiration of a novel by John Lacar, The Constant Gardener. This is beyond evil, folks. It's demonic. These demonic people are willing to risk the lives of billions of people so they can get rich. These people are guilty of crimes against humanity. The next file is authored by Matt Taibbi and is titled The Russiagate Lies, The Fake Tale of Russian Bots and the Release the Memo Hashtag. As the Trump-Russia investigation hoax became a reality, Democrats fumed and said it was boosted by Russian bots and trolls. Meanwhile, Twitter officials found no evidence of Russian influence. It all started in January 2018 with a letter from Devin Nunes to the Intel Committee detailing abuses by the FBI in obtaining FISA surveillance authority against Trump-connected figures, including the crucial role played by the infamous Steele dossier. That did not sit well with the Star Wars bar scene crowd, as Dianne Feinstein, Adam Schiff, Richard Blumenthal and the Alphabet Soup Conspiracy Media jumped into overdrive, pointing at Russia, Russia, Russia. Nunez's assertions would eventually be certified in a report by Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz in December 2019. But the whack job leftist lunatics had to go to war with him or lose face. This is where a group called Hamilton 68 comes into the picture. This is a group created by former FBI counterintelligence official and current MSNBC contributor Clint Watts that's funded by a neoliberal think tank, Alliance for Securing Democracy. Give me a break. Much more to come about that group in a minute. All along, Twitter finds no evidence of Russian influence on their platform. The next installment of the Twitter files was a short one. Its title says it all. Adam Schiff, ban requests, and de-amplification. Basically, it demonstrated the extent to which employees of the federal government, specifically of Congress, more specifically of disgraced liar and sold a soul to the devil, Democrat Adam Shifty Shift, were constantly contacting Twitter, asking for perfectly legal content that they found offensive or refuted the approved Democratic narrative to be censored. Remember how the First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech? 
What's the defense from these people who censored and abridged the freedom of speech? What are they going to say? Hey, man, we didn't make any laws. We just censored speech. It's egregious. Journalist Lee Fang handles the next Twitter file. In this one, we find out how the pharmaceutical industry lobbied social media to shape content around vaccine policy. The push included direct pressure from Pfizer partner BioNTech to censor activists demanding low-cost generic vaccines for low-income countries. Going back to 2020, Big Pharma knew the COVID crisis was an opportunity for unprecedented levels of profits, or as every good socialist disguised as a Democrat like Hillary Clinton would characterize them as windfall profits. Behind closed doors, Pharma launched a massive lobbying blitz to crush any effort to share patents or intellectual property for new COVID-related medicine, including therapeutics and vaccines. You know, stuff you would do if you were really concerned about humanity surviving a real pandemic. But these guys either knew the virus really wasn't that dangerous, or they were simply just going after the money. Lobbying groups wrote to the newly elected Biden administration demanding the U.S. government sanction any country attempting to violate patent rights and create generic low-cost COVID medicine or vaccines. The same lobbying groups reached out to Twitter to request that they directly censor users tweeting at them to ask for generic low-cost vaccines. You know, because low-cost generic treatments are fantastic for humanity in general, but terrible for Big Pharma's bottom line. Notably, the massive push to censor and label COVID misinformation did not apply to the drug companies who published their own wildly exaggerated tweets about the risks of creating low-cost generic COVID vaccines. The rules applied only to the critics of the industry. It's kind of like the dual justice system that the Democrat Party has in place. And as I'm sure you likely remember, if you mentioned ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, you were banned immediately. The reason for that was twofold. Number one, if there were known remedies for treating COVID-19, the emergency use authorization would never have been granted. It would have been illegal because there were other remedies. And number two, there ain't no money in generic drugs. In the final installment covered in this episode, Matt Taibbi published an expose of a left-wing project called Hamilton 68. Remember, we talked about that before. This file is titled, Move Over Jason Blair, Twitter Files Expose Next Great Media Fraud. Hamilton 68 is a digital dashboard that claimed to track Russian influence and was the source of hundreds if not thousands of mainstream print and TV news stories during the Trump years. The advisory board is comprised of the likes of neoconservative writer Bill Kristol, ex-Hillary for America chief and longtime Democrat hack John Podesta, as well as former heads or deputy heads of the CIA, NSA, and the Department of Homeland Security. Isn't that wonderful? These are the people who are the self-professed speech police. The purpose of Hamilton 68 was to falsely accuse hundreds of legitimate right-leaning Twitter accounts of being Russian bots. This included that of well-known conservative David Horowitz. Twitter was aware that Hamilton 68's allegations were mostly false. Meanwhile, the Hamilton 68 project allegedly provided the basis for articles in mainstream media smearing conservatives. For years, news outlets cited Watts and Hamilton 68 when claiming Russian bots were amplifying an endless parade of stories, such as opposition to military strikes in Syria. 
or the campaigns of both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, or support for Brent Kavanaugh, or support for Devin Nunes' memo, or even the Parkland shooting, or the manipulation of black voters with unsubstantiated claims of voter suppression, attacks on or opposition to the Mueller investigation, and it was even used to smear people like Tulsi Gabbard as foreign assets. See how this works? The establishment has an opinion, their approach, their target, their guy, their cause, or their narrative, and then they work to not only destroy the other guy, but to silence support for them. And anyone who opposes their narrative or cause gets the same treatment. As Hamilton 68's research became the favored source for hundreds of news articles and TV segments, Twitter executives became suspicious and conducted their own internal analysis. They researched accounts on Hamilton's list. Here are some quotes from the executives. Quote, these accounts are neither strongly Russian nor strongly bots. Quote, no evidence to support the statement that the dashboard is a finger on the pulse of Russian information ops. Quote, hardly illuminating a massive influence operation. Quote, real people need to know they've been unilaterally labeled Russian stooges without evidence or recourse. Quote, why can't we say we've investigated and citing Hamilton 68 as being wrong, irresponsible, and biased? And quote, I also have been very frustrated in not calling out Hamilton 68 more publicly, but understand we have to play a longer game here. One Twitter exec wrote, so the quote, legitimate people never found out that they've been used as fodder for mountains of news stories about Russian influence. In short, Hamilton 68 barely had any Russians. In fact, apart from a few Russia Today accounts, it's mostly full of ordinary Americans, Canadians, and British. It was a scam. Instead of tracking how Russia influenced American attitudes, Hamilton 68 simply collected a handful of mostly real, mostly American accounts and described their organic conversation as Russian scheming. If all this shit is going on at Twitter, what has been going on at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Google search results, Wikipedia, and the rest of the woke platforms? What we are dealing with here is yet another example of what the left accuses you of, they are likely doing themselves. This is especially evident when it comes to the claim of conspiracy theories. As discussed in episode 232, the left actually participates in conspiracies, like the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, pushing an often toxic, sometimes deadly experimental so-called vaccine on the masses, the mass violation of the First Amendment on a scale never seen in American history. And if you point it out, you are called a conspiracy theorist. Then all you have to do is wait six months to two years and the truth comes out, just like with the exposure from the Twitter files. But see, here's the thing. The damage has already been done. None of this shit matters anymore. The hoax Russia collusion narrative served its purpose. It turned half the country against Trump. The mass vaccination push served its purpose, allowing government to assume unimaginable amounts of power and control while enriching big pharma to levels they never could achieve without collusion with the federal government. And if no one is ever punished for these wrongdoings and blatant constitutional violations, we will get more of it. The freedoms and liberties have been slowly drained from the American people over the last 100 to 110 years, and just like any perceived or real slippery slope, you gain speed as you continue downhill. Currently, America is flying down that slope at a breakneck pace. 
As one of the two major political parties at the national level, the Doomsday Cult, formerly known as the Democratic Party, is dominated by dyed-in-the-wool socialists and Marxists who literally hate the country. They see racism and inequality everywhere. They want to harm the country, which is why the southern border is wide open, which is why the money supply continues to expand and fuel inflation, which is why the economy is in a recession, likely headed into a deeper recession, if not worse. It's why they are trying to start World War III with Russia. It's why they push their woke culture on us. CRT, transgenderism, gender identity nonsense. It's why they want to break up traditional families and traditional family values. It's why they behave the way they did during the COVID nightmare. It's why they want to remove God from the public and private square. These people are evil. These people are dangerous. And the other major political party is dominated by a bunch of mealy-mouthed pansies like Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, Richard Burr, and Trey Gowdy, who don't really stand for anything and certainly are not brave enough to stand up to the deep state or even the left-wing mob made up of their fellow legislators. All of them from both parties are bought and paid for by the Chinese, either through direct political donations or outright money laundering and fraud, as is the case with Hunter and Joe Biden. And that, my friends, is how we get shit like what we've been discussing in the Twitter files. Blatant, unrepentant violations of core constitutional protections unlike anything we've seen in American history. It's stuff that dictators like Mao and Stalin could only dream of. And that's the truth about the Twitter files, the second tranche. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform.